As an Alliant Energy representative, I really enjoy helping businesses save. Today, I visited a business that asked for a free energy audit. After walking through their facility, I let the customers know how much money and energy they could be saving. Plus, I gave them an action plan detailing how to improve their energy efficiency. I showed them how they could save even more with rebates from Alliant Energy on equipment upgrades. If you are interested in saving energy and money, schedule a free energy audit at AlliantEnergy.com slash energy audit. This episode is brought to you by TickPick, where smart fans buy and sell tickets. Check out TickPick for the best ticket prices for your next game, concert, or event. And use promo code PODCAST to save 10 bucks off any order over $49. That's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K dot com. Promo code PODCAST. Welcome into the Huddle Up Podcast. Today, we'll be breaking down the Denver Broncos' 16-10 victory over the Oakland Raiders, taking a look at some individual performances, giving out game balls, and answering your mailbag questions. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, your go-to show for all things Broncos. Now, we have a lot to get to today, but first, we want to say thank you to our sponsor, MyBookie.net. MyBookie.net is all about the excitement of making accurate sports predictions on your favorite teams without having to risk any funds. It's totally recreational, and there are all kinds of prizes. In today's climate, the fantasy industries have made watching football a lot more interesting, so go to MyBookie.net and compete for great prizes totally free. Well, the Huddle Lot podcast is here to give you a deep dive on your favorite team, the Denver Broncos. And we need your help. We can't grow without you. Every week, we ask you to rate the show on iTunes and Stitcher, and and there's a really big reason for that. It helps us to grow and reach new listeners. We love it that you are subscribing. But if you haven't, take a second and rate the show and leave a comment, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher. We appreciate it. You can also follow the the Huddle Up Twitter account, at HuddleUpPod, and of course, at MileHighHuddle. Also, take a second and like MileHighHuddle on Facebook. From now until January, or really hopefully February if we're lucky, Broncos football is officially back. We're going to be dropping knowledge several times a week, and you're not going to want to miss a single episode. Well, Will, uh, it's great to to be on your show. Yeah, yeah. To see the the other side of things here. It's a little change-up. Man, yeah. We'll we'll see how this goes. (laughs) Hopefully we will. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a Bronco victory over the Raiders. It's kind of hard to mess that up. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) It's a softball but, right down the middle. Exactly, exactly. So I'm, I'm glad to be on here, man. And to, to get a chance, it's 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 crazy doing the, the preview show. Very rarely do we get to talk about a victory and get excited about things like this. So it's kind of, like I said, it is. It's nice to kind of be on this side of it and get to to break down a victory. At least at least I'm coming on here when we have a victory. Yeah, well, I, yeah, it could be worse. We had to review the Buffalo game last week, and there's a lot of uh, – pent up anger and rage towards uh, officials that will, will go unnamed. But now I'm past that and I'm ready to review a victory. So, you know, we can, we can finally let our hair down and talk about some good things for once. I like it. I like it. And definitely anytime Nick and I talked about this, anytime the Broncos can beat the Raiders, I don't care if it's pretty, if it's ugly, like this last, this last game, uh, I'll take it, man. This is, this is always fun to talk about. And, and, uh, yeah, Broncos victory, much easier to talk about. And let, let's just get into that. Let's get into this victory here. What did you like about the Broncos this past weekend? I liked a lot of things. Um, I think most importantly, they ran the ball really well. And then on the flip side of that, obviously, they stopped the run, which they've been doing all season, starting with really after that after that first run of the year with where Melvin Gordon broke off like a 20-something yard run, which is literally the first, the first running play of and, and I'm sure you were thinking the same, like, here we go again. This, <laughs> this run defense is going to be like uh, a hot knife through butter for the second year in a row. Uh, but after that, they've clamped down and they haven't allowed Gordon, Elliott, McCoy, and now Marshawn Lynch to even combine for 100 yards over four games. So obviously that was huge. And then after that, they won the, 
they won the turnover battle. So that was really a big problem last week. They gave up two interceptions against Buffalo, and then they blew that fake punt and pick off two passes on defense this week, but they got that one with Justin Simmons at the end, and then they they stuffed Marquette King on the fake punt, which was immensely satisfying uh-huh. after after he was riding the Bronco down 10 nothing. which I'm um, not sure about Marquette's situational <laughs> awareness uh, <laughs> there, but that, that's really what I liked. What about you? Yeah. Well, and, and the Marquette, Marquette King thing there, I, I think I saw a stat that said that he is he has had three personal fouls over the yeah. last like two years. All other punters combined have zero. Which stands so, which stands to reason. He don't <laughs> you don't your punters, place kickers, long snappers, or really any specialists to be to be costing you uh, any unnecessary yards. I would think exactly. Just do your job. Be happy you did your job, that you have a job, that you're being yes. paid millions of dollars just to go kick a football. <laughs> you're, you're like the one player that can play into your 40s, make millions, not get hurt, be able to walk away from the game with no lingering issues, anything like that, and just live a comfortable life. So be happy about that. Don't need to ride the Bronco, like you said, especially when you're down by 10 points. Yeah, seriously. I know he did that in the Sunday a year ago. And I guess, given the context, I don't think it's ever uh, really <laughs> a punter's place to be celebrating. Maybe Pat McAfee excluded just because he was a lot of fun. Yeah. And we, we kind of got the idea that the Colts were going to lose more games than they won anyway. So why not have a little fun with it uh, when Pat McAfee's your most <laughs> your most electrifying player and, and Scott Tolzien is running the offense? But Marquette, he's a, he's such a good kicker too that just you know let your play speak for yourself. And I, I think ultimately, I don't think the statisticians over the NFL will pull this. Up. Might as well subtract 15 yards from his net yardage every time he gets a, a personal foul penalty. In my opinion, yeah. And honestly, I, I have him as an overrated punter. Oh, hot take! I, uh, I I was talking with somebody about this the other day. He was like second in yards per punt. Okay. But he was also like third in return yards allowed per punt. So he's out kicking his coverage. Ah, he'd okay. Rather, so he's too rather, good. Yeah, he, he'd rather out punt his coverage to punt it that 55, 60 yards and then have his guys have to go make a play. And and we saw it. There was a couple times in the game where McKenzie almost broke it for a touchdown. He had two yeah, really yeah. nice returns there. And one called back by penalty, of course. But yeah, that's that's where, for me, Marquette King's a little bit overrated. I think his antics get him a lot more attention and allow people to kind of get a little more view of him. That's why he gets into the Pro Bowl. I'm not saying he's a bad punter. I'm just saying I don't think he's that top three punter in the league right now. I'm so curious to see what your punter power rankings are. Um, I won't make (laughs) you go. I won't make you go one through 32, but who do you have in the top three? I have. uh, I'm trying to remember names because punters who thinks about names. Um, let, let me right. give me a second right here. I'm trying to try to remember Dixon, name. Riley Dixon and <laughs> Riley Dixon. D- Dixon deserves a lot of attention. He oh is, yeah, he was great. He's yeah. Um, the the guy for the Rams is my favorite guy. Oh, Johnny Hecker. There it is. There it is. That's that's my top punter. He does a yeah, great job great. of getting distance, hang time. Doesn't allow for a lot of return yardage, anything like that. And just as a, a very nice weapon for them. Indeed, indeed. I think I think Hecker's also uh Hecker, um a lot of the a lot of the NFC West punters, including John Ryan, do a, a pretty good job. Um I think Dixon's probably I don't I don't think he's uh necessarily top three or, or five, but I think he's creeping his way into the top ten. He's becoming a good weapon. And we have to point out that Riley Dixon is one of the more adept punters at fake punts, I think, in the NFL. And I think it was a shame that they direct snapped it to D'Angelo Henderson last week instead of putting the ball uh, in the hands of Riley Dixon, <laughs> a.k.a. Yeah, I, the ginger rifle. I, I love Dixon, and, and I it was such a genius move to keep him over Colquitt. Yeah, it was. And I, I remember that was such a controversial issue because, I, honestly, I do think Colquitt – eked out maybe being a little bit better punter coming out of camp, but the Broncos are one team that they allow their draft picks to develop and say, Hey, we're going to trust that you're going to turn into something. And as the season progressed, he got better. 
So that was that was a very nice job by the Broncos. He absolutely did. I think the Broncos are are fostering an environment in which punters and kickers can thrive. Brandon McManus is withstanding. But on that subject, uh, a few things did go I wouldn't say poorly, but didn't go according to plan for the Broncos. So what do you think they really had to deal with and overcome yesterday in the process of getting that victory? There are two things that come to mind for me for the Broncos, and they kind of connect together. The first is penalties. Right. It just the last two weeks, especially it's just been stupid penalties, false starts, especially at home who false starts at home that many times like the Broncos were doing or holding call on third and one. Yeah. From Ronald Leary, uh, no less, who's, who's really not known for any, really any sort of mistakes over at right guard. He's been nearly perfect up until that false start and holding call. Yeah. He, he's had a little bit of trouble the last couple of weeks, I think. And I don't know if that's a little bit of trying to compensate for Watson being next to him. I think Probably. maybe trying to do a little <laughs> too much. And, and sometimes you, you get that big contract. And I, I think it's the same with McManus. You get that big contract and you start pushing a little bit harder. You start thinking a little bit more because you just you want to live up to that contract. And then you start making just these little mistakes. And McManus, yes, that that missed field goal from, what was it, 29 yards? I think so. Oh, goodness. That could have really cost us the game. I, I was sweating bullets there at the end. But, yes, so so penalties, big one for me. And then just red zone of inefficiency. Definitely. We are one of seven the last two weeks of getting a touchdown when we get into the red zone. And the best teams in the league, the best offenses in the league, know how to finish off drives. And the Broncos just haven't looked sharp in that area. They – they just get timid. I don't know. Some of it could be play calling. Some of it just could be Simeon not wanting to turn the football over. Like he, he's had interceptions in all three of the first games. Finally had a clean game this last one, but I don't know. I just think there's, there's some issues there that they really need to look at this, this bye week and figure out that, that red zone offense. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And maybe it's, in contrast to how well that they did in the first two games, um, because they were, especially on in red zone, and then if you include the third down stats, they were on offense in those first two games. And I think what it comes down to, and this this kind of goes beyond the red zone, but I think it was one of the big problems that the Broncos had to deal with yesterday. Aside from the fact that Trevor Simeon took too many sacks, I think he took four sacks, and then I didn't look at all. Your co-host tweeted that he thought Simeon was responsible for about three of them, which I think is half fair because when you're when you're going against uh, Khalil Mack and you have uh, and you know that you have either Donald Stevenson or, or Menelik Watson as sometimes the only thing between you and a big Khalil Mack sandwich, uh, I'd be I'd be running for my life as soon as I got got the snap as well, but. I think he he might be seeing a few too many ghosts and uh, is bailing out of the, the pocket pretty quickly. But I think the way that they should have dealt with that is to get a little more creative on offense. And that would be Mike McCoy calling maybe a few bootlegs, uh, maybe a few wide receiver screens, which would in turn help uh, Demarius Thomas get involved in the game a little bit earlier because he ended up with just one catch for 11 yards, which – He'll disappear from time to time, but I, th- I think it wasn't really his fault. I just don't think there was a, a really concerted effort to get him involved in the game, which you kind of have to get him up, warmed up early, and then that really pays dividends. I think in the second half, he, he gets warmed up, and then he, he kind of tends to get on a roll, and then by the fourth quarter, he can be done. So I think they have to design a few plays to get him the ball, if that's a bubble screen or just a quick slant or something or who knows, even like a, a jet sweep or an end around just to put the ball in his hands because he's such a playmaker and, and you're just wasting him away on offense if you don't do that. So would have liked to see that. Would have liked to see a few more rollouts, maybe there's something in the passing or in the run game, although obviously the run game is effective. But, you know, we, we could pick a few nits, and certainly when you're only putting up 16 points on offense, uh, there's a few to find. But in total, pretty happy with the performance. And whenever you can get a, get a win against a good Raiders team, and especially a divisional opponent, a lot to hang your hat on, I think. It is. And and everybody needs to, to make sure that they know when we are nitpicking a t- the Broncos after a win against a division rival, like you said, it's 
it's just because that's what we do. Yeah. And we're just trying to find ways to see how the team can get even better. But a win is a win. Being three and one at the end of the first quarter of the season, I, I think anybody would have taken that before the season started. When you see teams like like Dallas and Oakland on the schedule, and some teams that were just, I think both of them were twelve and four last year, if I remember I right. Yeah. Oakland Oakland was. 12 and 4. Dallas ended up actually 13 and 3. 13 and 3. There we go. Two impressive victories. Right. And so then to beat both those teams and to have our defense look like it did against both those teams, especially since both of them were top five rushing teams last year. And that's great. This is, this is a great place to be. This is where you would hope the Broncos would be if they're going to be a, a competitive team. So it's just a little bit of nitpicking just to try to make this team a little bit better. And just some things that they can clean up that stop allowing us to have these heart attacks during games. I don't know how much more my heart can take these last two years, all these close games. It's just been, <laughs> it's yeah. taking its toll. And I, I just like some games every once in a while just to be those blowout wins. And especially when you're playing the the Raiders, I, I would love to see them embarrass Del Rio and those Raiders. So just, just a little few things that they can tweak that turn a 16 to 10 win into like a, a 30 to to 10 win yeah and it really was a fine line because if McManus hits that field goal or if they're not attempting field goals if they're scoring touchdowns that game's a blowout and it doesn't it doesn't come down to Justin Simmons having to make a game saving interception you know at the five yard line because if you're playing EJ Manuel in the fourth quarter you know you should be winning the game by multiple multiple scores and they were they're up they're up nine points in the fourth quarter uh, and they went kind of to a soft zone prevent defense, which I didn't really like. But I have a question for you. So obviously the game changed when uh, Derek Carr hurt his back. And we, we've gotten reports today that he's going to be out two to six weeks, which, you know, that's something for the Raiders to deal with again. But for now, EJ Manuel is their backup. But do you think that the Broncos still hold on and win that game if Carr does not get hurt? I do. And, and here's why. The reason that the Broncos kind of went to that soft zone, soft man coverage is because they hadn't game planned for EJ Manuel. And so you don't know exactly what kind of plays they're going to call. So you just try to play a little bit of bend but don't break because you just got to see what they're trying to do with him. Right. And once they got him figured out, he started out eight for eight in that game and had that nice drive down the field where they kicked the field goal. But after that, he went three for nine. So once they kind of figured out what they were trying to do, the Bronco defense shut them down again. And so that, that's where, for me, I think if they had game plan for EJ Manuel all, all, all week, then they would have shut him down just like they, they kind of did there at the end. And Derek Carr, other than that one drive and really yeah. just pretty much two plays, they'd shut Derek Carr down all game. So I just think if, if Derek Carr was still in there, they would have kept with the same game plan and he would have struggled to have brought them back. I definitely agree. I, I think they win the game either way. Um, it was a little frustrating for me seeing Joe Woods kind of pull in the reins on his corners a little bit because, I, you know, I think game plans working with Derek Carr, it, it's generally going to work on a lesser quarterback with EJ Manuel. And I know EJ Manuel's more athletic. So, you know, if you have to, if you have to put in a quarterback spy or whatever or have – the guy's mush rush just so he doesn't get too far out of the pocket. You know, that's probably an adjustment you can make on the fly. But um, I think overall, when you're shutting down the run game and you're getting a little bit of pressure, which is pretty much what Washington did last week and the Broncos did pretty well, they could have uh, they could have spied Manuel. They could have mush rushed them or, or whatever, which is what you usually do with an athletic quarterback. They tried to do it, I think, with Tyrod Taylor to a little bit of a veil. But I think in general, your game plan is working, and it, and it certainly was working because they were stopping the run, and they are basically doing what Washington did so effectively a week ago to stop the Raiders' offense. I think you, you generally want to stick to those principles, and, and that meant a lot of – you know, underneath press man coverage, um, they basically took Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree. So they're, they're really – the only options that Oakland had was Jared Cook, who was, I don't know, vaguely effective. Uh, Seth Roberts for a few, a, huge, a few plays, not a huge play, but um, 
Johnny Holton, who's kind of a, a no-name wide receiver, got loose on that huge play, the 64-yard corner route for a touchdown. But, uh, you know, I, I think they definitely win either way. I don't know exactly what Oakland's going to do without Derek Carr. It's interesting to me that they that they drafted Connor Cook a year ago, spent a fourth-round pick on him, and they're not even going to implement him as, as their number two quarterback. So, and two to six weeks is, is a really vague timetable. And, and I heard it was back spasms, but I don't know if back spasms are six weeks. But what are your thoughts? What do you, what do you think Oakland does uh, while, while they're waiting on Carr to get back? Well, they're, they're going to have to really lean on that run game. They're just going to have to say, Marshawn Lynch, go win us some games. That's, yeah. uh, I, I don't know what else they can really do because EJ Manuel, he's okay. But there's a reason that he's kind of bounced around the league a little bit here, and even after being a first round pick, he's it's going to take him some time here. I don't know. It's the the final, I guess, analysis on Derek Carr's injury. It actually ended up being a fracture in his back, not just spasms. Oh wow! And it's the same injury. I don't know if you remember back in 2014 with Tony Romo. I sure he did. had that same kind of fracture, I guess, in in his back. And he was back after missing only one game. But this is, this is what I would say to that. While he only missed one game and he played decently after he came back, he also had back issues the very next two years and is out of the league in big part because of injuries. So if you're Oakland, do you want him back in two weeks and, <laughs> and risk that maybe he's only going to be able to play a couple more years? I know he's younger, has less injuries than what Tony Romo had and all of that, but... Still, this is not any kind of back injury. You don't really want to mess around with. I would tend to agree. I think it's not a good sign that he broke his leg last year. And I know they're unrelated, but you invested money into this offensive line to keep your franchise quarterback healthy. And they're failing to do so right now. And they're they're failing to even run the ball. And so I think, I don't know if their offensive line has necessarily become a weakness, although it was too weak two weeks ago against the Redskins and it, and it probably was against a really dominant Denver defense yesterday, but it, it's not a good sign when you're paying clutch Yosemite a ton of money, Donald Penn's holding out, you're giving Gabe Jackson big money and they can't really produce. And I, and I know it's early, but it, it doesn't bode well for the Raiders. I don't think. And you have to remember that for the, all a, AFC West teams, this year, it seems like it's just crazy how many great pass rushing teams that people are going against. The NFC East has great pass rushing teams. The AFC East has some pretty good pass rushing teams. And so every week, an offensive line is not getting any kind of break. And yeah, when they're struggling and they're the, the where all of the money is invested in really right now, yeah, there, there's some major issues going on that they need to figure out. And I've kind of heard that the offensive line wasn't exactly too happy with Derek Carr and some of his stances on the national anthem. Not saying that they just let people get through, but <laughs> yeah, I just heard that they've had some some communication issues with some of that. I had a Raiders fan that pretty much told me he's done watching football because he's tired of how his team is acting towards all this, but that's here here and there. Uh, that's another topic, but but still, yes, they, they're having some struggles. They're not getting much of a run game going. As much as the whole Marshawn Lynch was supposed to be this really, really big thing, I think he's been just okay. I don't think he's been anything special. Yeah, and of course when you're giving him a little room to run up front, he, he's going to take advantage of it, and I don't think he's a significantly lesser player than he was when he, when he left the league a couple of years ago. But he's not one of those guys that can – can make things happen without a potent run blocking team. He's, he's definitely not Barry Sanders anymore, although he'll still break some tackles in the open field, but he's just not that guy. Yeah. So, all right. So we've talked enough about Derek Carr, but let's get to the Broncos quarterback. So what overall did you think about Trevor Simeon's performance? What did he do well to you to need to improve? What he did well, he protected the football. Right. His, with this defense, with this run game, Trevor Simeon's number one job, protect the football. 
there's a good chance if he doesn't turn the football over, the Broncos are going to win a lot of games. So kudos to him for cleaning up some of that stuff, being willing to take maybe a sack instead of trying to throw it away or throw it into tight coverage where it's not going to work out well. Uh, I appreciate that about his game yesterday. I agree. I I think by any measure, and I don't know if pro football focus or whatever, you know, any of the advanced metrics will bear this out. But I think if you watch the game compared to last week, he looked a little more comfortable, certainly had uh, spurts where he was bailing out too quickly. And he had a lot of that last week too running himself into trouble and running himself into a couple of sacks, but he got on a really hot streak starting on that, on that second drive of the first quarter, which resulted in, I think a 17 yard pass to to Benny Fowler. And then another one where he kind of got lucky where Fowler bailed him out. And then AJ Derby then finally hits Derby on that wheel route touchdown, which we haven't even brought up yet. That was, <laughs> I think that that was one of the better catches I've seen out of out of a Bronco. Uh, I, I'm sure you've been watching a little bit longer than I have, but I, I haven't seen a guy ever, especially Derby. I know he's got receiving skills, but obviously they're all like him. But Derby catches the ball with one hand on that wheel route, basically spears it, and then never even brings in the left hand into the equation. Just takes it. Palms the ball with his right hand and, and tight ropes into the end zone. And congrats to to AJ Derby, who I've also often called on Twitter uh, Heath Ledger, as he bears a striking resemblance to the to the Dark Knight actor, R.I.P. But he was he was a big part of the offense, and I don't know if he bailed Trevor Simeon out on that throw, but I think the the Trevor Simeon AJ Derby connection heating up is something to look forward to. So I like that out of Simeon. I like that he protected the ball really well. Obviously, got back to to a positive touchdown interception ratio. It's tough though. When even when the Raiders lost a couple guys, and I know they didn't have Gary and Conley. Or they didn't have David Amerson, who are who are two pretty crucial parts of an otherwise weak secondary. I think it's fair to say. But when you have Khalil Mack breathing down on you just about every time you drop back, it's hard to function. And I think if he converts in the red zone a few more times, and that maybe if that route to Demarius Thomas doesn't get batted down, you know we're singing a, a far more positive tune about Trevor Simeon. But overall. Definitely a, a good bounce back performance from Buffalo, but still a few things to work on. Yeah, he he has to work on his his pocket awareness. I I've been telling people all week that is his biggest weakness as a quarterback, in my opinion. He that first game against the Chargers, he kept trying to bail out to the right, and while Watson was getting beat a lot, a couple of those sacks are on Simeon for just kind of running right into the defender instead yeah. of stepping up in the pocket. And he did so much better in the Cowboys game where what he would do is he would step up in the pocket and then take off to the right. And I thought, oh, man, there you go. This guy's learning. And and when I can see that kind of progression, I get very excited. But then he kind of regressed again here the last couple of weeks where he kept trying to bail out to the right or he'd pull down the football whenever he just kind of heard a little bit of footsteps and took his eyes off from down the field. And when that happens, the play's over there's no chance that he's going to make a play. And so just some things like that, he's got to work on. He's got to work on a little bit of getting off his first read. He kind of stays on there a little bit too long. And Sanders, (laughs) I think he's one of the more, he just doesn't hide his feelings well on the field. I agree. You'll see him bouncing up and down. Like I'm completely open. Why can't you see me? And I think he gets a little frustrated sometimes that Simeon can't get to that second read because there, there's some big plays to be had there. So something like that. And and my final critique, and, and understand, I've been impressed with Simeon this year. He's outplayed my expectations for him. I was not a big fan of his, and I still don't exactly view him as the future for the Broncos. He's winning me over little by little, but I still haven't quite got there yet. But the other thing I want to see him work on is throwing a receiver open. The... The play where Sanders was kind of dancing in the back of the end zone, the thing that a lot of people missed was uh, Demarius Thomas was open on that play. And it, he was, I think, the designed first throw. But I don't think Simeon trusted his eyes. He, he ran a quick slant pattern to the inside and then cut for the corner of the end zone. And 
DT really faked out his cornerback and had about a two or three yard cushion. And what Simeon has to do on that throw is just tr- just throw it to the corner of the end zone and trust that his guy's going to go make a play. And he just didn't trust his eyes and he pulled down the football and just kind of ran off to the side. So just like I said, these are little things that he can work on that he can fix that can make him a better quarterback and show that he deserves to be the future, the future quarterback of this franchise. I think you're right. I think those are all really fair criticisms. I think uh, it's no secret that I am a little more favorable and I have been a little more favorable to Trevor Simeon. And I, maybe that's just um, a reaction to the contingent on Twitter who was calling for, for Brock Osweiler to get in the game yesterday, <laughs> which I thought was one of the more outrageous things. Because if you're talking about Trevor Simeon taking too many sacks against Khalil Mack and the Oakland Raiders – and you're advocating that the better option would be Brock Osweiler in terms of pocket awareness, especially against Khalil Mack and the Oakland Raiders. And I don't think I need to remind anybody that Khalil Mack sacked Brock Osweiler in Denver the last time he was in a Broncos uniform going against the Raiders. Uh, I think that's fairly out there, uh, generous. So I would – I would bet on Trevor Simeon keeping his job. But speaking of betting, Carl, how about you tell tell everybody about our friends at MyBookie? Well, we want to once again say thank you to our sponsor, MyBookie.net. MyBookie is all about the fun and excitement of making accurate predictions on your favorite teams without having to risk any funds. Site members can make picks against real spreads, lines, and totals for major sports leagues and associations, as well as college sports, and compete for great prizes courtesy of MyBookie. MyBookie.net is the greatest, most professional, totally free, and most importantly, 100% recreational sports prediction service you can find on the web. Instead of the typical head-to-head challenges and handicapping contests, MyBookie.net goes beyond the basics and offers members a true betting platform that will make users feel like they were in a real betting site. MyBookie is not a gambling or a play-for-money site. It's a free sports wagering website built for millions of sports fans to provide them with a platform to participate in picking games, predicting scores, and competing for free prizes without risking any money. Just like office pick'em contests and fantasy football, MyBookie brings a deeper enjoyment and excitement to watching our favorite teams by increasing the stakes. It is fun. It is for no cost. You get to make predictions and qualify for prizes. Again, the service is absolutely free for all users, and we say thank you to my bookie for sponsoring the Huddle Up podcast. All right, so Carl, you brought up a former Cowboys quarterback that I want to talk to you about right now, and that, of course, is Tony Romo. So this is the first time that Tony Romo has called the Denver Broncos game. So I want to ask you about your thoughts. What did you think about him in the booth next to Jim Nance, and do you think he lived the hype because he's definitely getting a ton of it. <laughs> he he still has a long ways to go as a sports broadcaster on some things. Uh, he has to work on some timing just with, with especially with his co-host that takes time that it takes time to develop just like you and I, you and I have done what, maybe two shows together. And usually that had Chad part of it or Nick, a part of it or somebody else. Right. And, and so it just takes time to build that kind of chemistry to understand where to ask questions, when to, when to speak up, when not to, all those kind of things. Uh, Nick and I, we've had a few guest speakers on our, our show, and we always kind of talk about it afterwards, how sometimes the timing is just kind of a little bit off. You're trying to figure out when that third person can come in and talk and, and things like that. So he has a couple things to work on. But what Tony Romo brings to the broadcast booth is such a breath of fresh air just his understanding of the game, his ability to diagnose and what players are thinking about, what coaches are thinking about on a given play, his ability to predict what's going to happen. Now, sometimes his predictions, it's like, come on, Tony, that, that's a no duh. That's a, that's a John Madden yeah. kind of thing. Oh, he's going to run to the side and buy some time and then throw it out of bounds. It's like, okay, Tony, yep, we all know that. Thank you. <laughs> but like I said, it's just kind of a breath of fresh air and he has an excitement there's not really that I, I have to be a professional and just kind of keep my myself even kill. He just, he gets that excitement in his voice and starts yelling. And I saw a couple people on Twitter going, stop yelling at me, Tony. 
And uh, yeah, I love it. I love what he brings to the table. Yeah, I, I think Tony Romo is basically uh, one of those guys in the draft that's just all raw potential and it's just like one of those tool guys that if you give him a few years to figure it out he can be like a true industry great and i think i was a little i don't want to say that i was anti-romo going into this but i think all the people that talk about tony romo in the broadcast booth like he's the greatest thing since sliced bread or to make a more apt analogy Pat Summerall or, or John Madden or any of your favorite broadcasters rolled in the one. He, he definitely has some work to do, but he does things so well and he makes points that no one ever brings up. Like he, he hammered this home a few times and it's not something I would ever think about, but the Raiders deferred until the second half and that's not a new thing, but to defer on the road in Denver when the fans are still in the bathroom or, or still buying beer or, you know, getting something to eat, after halftime, because halftime is only 12 minutes. It's not 20 minutes like it is in college. That's a great time to have the ball on offense. And I haven't heard anybody talk about um, what an advantage that is to the road team to, to be receiving the ball to start the second half until Tony Romo did yesterday. And, of course, it didn't uh, amount, in anything, <laughs> amount to anything for the Raiders yesterday, and that's probably uh, more credit to Denver's defense. But I think that is, like you said, it's, it's a breath of fresh air and – I don't know if he was really doing too much of the the Nostradamus today, but he got things. He got a few things right. Um, his energy is really cool to see. Um, hopefully, over the next few years, he doesn't grow to be uh, more disgruntled or <laughs> uh, cynical, like uh, I think Phil Sims turned out to be over the years. But I like where he's at right now. Uh, I think you could say the same thing about him and I don't know, a quarterback like Deshaun Watson where all the tools are there and you see them put it together from time to time, like Deshaun Watson did yesterday, scoring five touchdowns. But you know that there's still a few technical things to be worked out. I think that's I think that's where Tony Romo is right now. So I, I'm not anti-Tony Romo, maybe like Brent Musburger is, where I don't think he's uh, encroaching too much or stepping on Jim Nance's toes. But I think he, he's extremely talented, and he's certainly an upgrade over Phil Sims. Although I do have a little – I don't know what it is. Maybe just a, a nostalgic thing for Phil Sims because he, he called so many Broncos games over the last, what, 10 years. And then before that, he called their first Super Bowl win against the Packers. And then uh, their third Super Bowl win, too, against the Panthers. So there I, – I, but there's a, there's a special place in my heart for Philip Sims. Um, I should note that he did beat the Broncos in the, in the uh, I think, Super Bowl 20 or 21, whichever it is. So maybe that cancels out my point. But <laughs> he's he's an interesting one. I, a lot of Bronco fans hated him. Yeah. Because they thought he had a bias against the Broncos. That's not true, and, though. No, he, he didn't. He he was critical of both teams. He, he just kind of had that critical view of the game and what teams did right, what teams did wrong. And I, I kind of always appreciated him. I got to appreciate him more as time went on. I, at first, I was kind of with that Bronco crowd of, oh, man, I can't believe he's hating on the Broncos so much. And then the more I watched, I'm like, man, he's actually kind of right on some of those things. So <laughs> I kind of learned on that. But, yeah, Tony Romo, very impressive for just starting out in this business. Uh, that's It's not easy just to get in front of a camera. And on the spot, you're live. You have no no do-overs. And you just got to go up there and start talking and you got to sound intelligent. And so far he's done a good job with that. So can't wait to see how he keeps up on this business and, and hopefully he keeps at it because he, he definitely has a, a niche for this. I would have to agree with you there. He can't do make himself sound smart like we do on podcasts. So there's always that element, but as long as the Broncos are AFC elites, they're going to get a lot of Jim Nance and Tony Romo broadcasts. But when they're AFC elites, they're going to be winning a lot of games too. And they won yesterday. So given that, go through and give out our game balls because after each victory, we give out our celebratory game balls to the players that were most instrumental in the Broncos win. Carl, I'm going to let you go first. Who gets your game balls? Well, my first one is Justin Simmons, and it's not just for the interception. That, that interception was great. 
And it just showed exactly the type of player that he is and what he brings to the table. He had a 40-inch vertical at the combine. You, you know that Nick and I are big draft oh, junkies yes. and all that. Oh, yes. So we, we have all those numbers in the back of our head. Draft Use, nerds. Useless information that, oh my goodness, I, I can't imagine how much brain power goes to that. But beyond that, he allowed zero receptions to his area of the field. And I, I will say the first few weeks, he has had some communication errors. The whole entire secondary has had some communication errors. And this is where TJ Ward being gone has led to some issues. They are cleaning it up. They're getting a little bit better, but there's still some there, kind of like the, the big touchdown they did give up. Kind of seemed like Darian Stewart didn't know that he had that deep quarter or something. I, I don't know what exactly all happened there. There was somebody that made a mistake of where they were supposed to be. Right. But Justin Simmons, he's getting a little bit better. He's not out of position as much. He's a he's a very good tackler. He's a very sure tackler, tackler. And that's something that a lot of safeties don't get talked about unless they're that box safety. And he's not always that box safety. So always appreciate his ability in the open field. And like I said, zero receptions allowed. And just just looks like he looks like the future at the position for safety for the Broncos. He he's got a few things, like I said, to learn, but I think he'll get there. And just the raw athleticism. And once he gets that speed of the game down more and more, he's gonna make a lot more plays like we saw with that interception. So he's one of my game balls. Another goes to Todd Davis. And he has now been here, what is it, three coaching staffs? Yeah, it would be three because he was here in uh, 2014. And every single one of them have talked this guy up. And every time I'm going, what do they see that I don't see? And because he's had his struggles. He's not great in coverage. He had a couple times where he got beat by Jared Cook yesterday. And but he was he was close. He wasn't like far off. It wasn't like he was juked out of his out of his shoes or anything like that. But he, he sometimes is just a little slow in diagnosing. But in the run game, he has been one of the biggest players of why this run game is turned around. There's one that you're going to talk about, I think. But Todd Davis is another that he has done a great job of shooting the gaps, making big plays. He had that big fourth and one stop was against the Chargers. Yeah. And man, he's just he's diagnosing a lot quicker. And when he finally has offensive linemen staying off of him, you can see why coaches like this guy. He, he knows where he's supposed to be. He knows what an offense is trying to do and just very impressed with him this year. I would have to agree with you on, on both counts. I think Todd Davis is getting better and better. Um, he's certainly a force in the run game already, but he did have that play where he, he was stride for stride with Marshawn Lynch down the field. And I think that was in the first quarter. So I, I don't know if he's ever going to be uh, a, a revelation in, in the coverage pass coverage uh, department, but I think if he's he's good enough right now, and he's certainly not costing the Broncos like he did in that first game, uh, trying to stay up with Melvin Gordon. But uh, to move on, my game balls are going to go to first of all Garrett Bowles, and I can't stress how important it is to have a stable force at the left tackle position, especially when uh, the right tackle position on the other side has been basically a revolving door of nightmares for the Broncos going back to probably 2014 um, with little periods of reprieve in between. But I think when you have a little bit of confidence that you're at least not going to be sandwiched in between and you only have to worry about one guy on the right side. And to be fair, Menelik Watson played a lot better. I don't know if I'm going to give him a game ball yet, but he has steadily improved. Um, since uh, the Dallas game where Demarcus Lawrence basically ate his lunch and, and pushed him around through just about the whole game. But to have that stabilizing force and to spend a first-round pick on a position of need, you need that to work. And John Owe is not a need drafter, but the need was so glaring at left tackle that if they didn't have someone there who could get the job, just about going to sabotage the offense. So fortunately, it worked out. Garrett Bowles doing a great job at left tackle. He gets a game ball. My next game ball, already talked about him, Heath Ledger, a.k.a. A.J. Derby, a.k.a. Odell Beckham Part 2, <laughs> snags that wheel route. I think he ends up with four catches, and he we didn't get a lot of production out of the tight end position against Buffalo. So it was good to, good to get that added dimension to the offense. 
Um, I think the AJ Derby and Trevor Simeon connection is only going to get better. A little bit uncertain because we're a couple of weeks away. The Broncos having to make a decision on Jake Butt. And I'm not really sure what they do right now because Jake Butt's kind of a, a glue tight end. He can kind of do it all. And we have yet to see if he can do it all effectively at an NFL level or if the Broncos will let him and if they'll send him to IR this year and kind of give him a redshirt year. But that's something to keep an eye on. So for right now, AJ Derby, you get the game ball out of the, out of the three tight ends that played yesterday. Finally, you alluded him to to him earlier. A guy that's been a force in the Broncos run game, and I think along with Todd Davis and Adam Gotts, has been the big reason that it's improved. Basically, from uh, one of the worst to arguably, honestly, inarguably, the best so far through four games. Domitaw Pecco over at nose tackle. He's basically crashing on uh, every run that that the defense is seeing. Uh, he's getting himself in great position. He's he's owning the first two downs for the Broncos. And I'm just waiting on one of those celebrations where he gets up and then does that weird thing where he rubs his stomach like he did with the Bengals. <laughs> so um, I think – Domita's growing confidence uh, will let that that natural exuberance shine through, and we'll get a celebration soon. But yeah. I want to move on to the mailbag, and we got a question from a very loyal listener, Jacob Smith, who's very active and, and a, a great friend of the podcast. So Jacob asked us, how can the Broncos keep the offensive momentum going after the first half and stay aggressive? such as trusting the run game on fourth and one. What do you think, Carl? I would say a little bit of it is mixing up the game plan from the first half to the second half. A lot of teams, they go in at that halftime, make adjustments. You got to make a few more adjustments. Get, I would say, because we've been winning a lot of the times here when we're coming into or when we're ending the first half. And I think sometimes they do go a little bit conservative there. But part of that is by scheme. Um, when you get a lead, you want to hold on to the lead. You want to eke time out and and all those kind of things. But some things that they could do, you alluded to it earlier, get some screen passes going. Get the ball yeah. into your playmaker's hands. DT, Sanders, your running backs. I would love to see Jamal Charles in the pass game. I They haven't utilized it yet. Maybe some of that is because they just really haven't had to, and they're saving that for later in the season. And and really, Jamal Charles, I had, I had a lot of people complaining about that he only got five, I think it was five touches in the last game. And Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and, and so part of that is his injury. He had that big hit to his knee, cut it open. I don't know how bad it was, but anytime, especially when a guy's had a lot of knee problems and he's got a cut like that, you don't really want to mess with that too much. And with our bye week coming up, and but also it comes down to you want to be conservative in how much you use Jamal Charles. Right. You'd rather have him there. You'd rather have him there in December when you absolutely need a big play and that he can still be there to play compared to using him up in this first couple months and saying, Oh man, I wish we still had him here for the playoffs. So I, I like what they're doing with him a little bit, but maybe it is after this buy and he's got that little bit more time and a little bit more rust knocked off that you start trusting him to go out there and make some more big plays. Uh, Booker getting involved, that will help as well. He's kind of that lightning rod. I mean, he just – he hits the hole so quickly. He does. His injuries last year really took it out of him. But if you watched him in the first half of the season when when uh, Anderson was still ha- healthy, man, Booker was hitting the hole pretty hard. So some of that, yeah, just getting some more mixed into there, getting the ball to your playmakers. And offensive line, yeah, they got to play better. And that, that's the big part of it, though. And that's – there's not going to be any help coming. I know people keep asking, hey, what can we do at the right tackle position? Well, <laughs> best we can help by chipping um, to give them a little bit of help. But Watson has shown some improvement, like you said. So hopefully that improvement continues. That's going to be the big hope. And we'll just, we'll just have to kind of see on that. that. I don't know. There's just a few things they can do there. Agree with you, uh, as usual. I think the Broncos need to treat Demarius Thomas almost like a team should treat, treat, and I know the Saints aren't doing it, but they should treat him like Adrian Peterson, where you kind of just have to get him started. And 
even if that means forcing the ball to him early or throwing him a screen pass or, or just getting plays that are designed to go to Demarius Thomas's direction, I think you have to do that because he's really defense like Emmanuel Sanders is. I think you need to focus early on getting the ball in his hands and then he's going to work his way open later in the game and really become a dominant force uh, in the second half. And he hasn't scored a touchdown yet. And I know they targeted him in the red zone yesterday and the pass uh, got batted in the air about a mile high by Carl Joseph. But I like, I like the idea. Uh, I think the Broncos should be throwing him more jump balls and more 50, 50 balls in the red zone, because that's how Peyton Manning got about a third of his touchdowns in Denver was just, locking on to Demarius Thomas and giving him a ball he could high point in the end zone. So I think uh, that needs to become more of a staple of the game plan. And then, of course, just getting creative and moving the pocket and rolling around. And I know it's not the Gary Kubiak offense, but mixing in a bootleg, maybe throwing a little pass to Andy Janovich and see what he can. You know, he's such a such a dynamic, powerful part of the offense that really has been underutilized aside from just blocking linebackers. So I want to see some of that and just some overall creativity. And I think when you're, when you're just dropping back and you're dropping back to the same exact spot, just about on every pass, you're not giving Menelik Watson any favors when, you know, the pass rushers know exactly uh, what the plan is. You're not giving Trevor Simeon any favors. So I would like to see Michael McCoy diversify a little bit to uh, give a contingency plan in case the the straight drop back uh, isn't working. But we're going to get out of here. But before we do, Carl, why don't you tell us about our friends and sponsors over at audible.com? Well, of course, we want to say thank you to our, to our sponsor, Audible. And I just want you to know that you can get a free audio book download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash huddle up. There are over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, that's www.audibletrial.com forward slash huddle up. Well, that's all the time that we have here for today. You can find Will in the Twitterverse at WillKeys6 and myself at CarlDumblerMHH. Tweet us your questions and we'll try to address your concerns on the show as often as we can. Look for my roster breakdown with Nick that we're going to have coming out here Wednesday or Thursday morning that we'll be breaking down the roster and kind of look into the future of the Broncos. Since it is a bye week, no game to really break down. Look to the future of the Broncos, what they can do this year and what they might be doing next year. Don't forget to subscribe y'all. And for Will, I'm Carl. We'll talk to you soon. Mile high huddle.